Welcome to Marketing Growth Conversations, a show about purposeful growth for the marketing community. We're connecting with marketing leaders to explore how they've found success in delivering growth for their businesses, teams, and careers. I'm your host, Michael Fasciano, an integrated marketing and global content leader. Like many of you, I've seen that growth for marketers is rarely a straight path. And yet with courage, strategic thinking, creativity, and grit, it's the game changer for many businesses and an incredibly rewarding career. Welcome to another episode of Marketing Growth Conversations. Today, we're joined by an incredible marketing and content strategy leader who I've admired through my career. David Brown is SVP and Head of Strategy at Notch, a content intelligence platform, consultancy, and community. David's leadership track record is impressive, having played executive leadership roles at Ogilvy, Meredith Corporation, OneSpot, Manifest, and other industry-leading groups. I've personally had the privilege to work with David on the brand side, setting direction for content strategy, performance benchmarks, standards, and process. During our collaborations, David and I touched on the value of strategy as a catalyst and guide for content marketing growth. It's going to be fun for us to dig into this critical topic, so let's get into the discussion. David, welcome to the show. Hi, Michael. Thanks for having me. It's great to great to be with you. Absolutely, it's always a pleasure, and um, you know, certainly coming off of some great collaborations as well. So, you're leading strategy at Notch today. What's been the core focus for you and the team? Notch is a business which is focused on content intelligence and helping put performance insights into the hands of of marketers and their content teams. And one one of the lessons we've learned is that. Sometimes marketers are not very clear how they are expressing their objectives and KPIs. And there's there's a lot of confusion between what's an objective, what's a KPI, what's a, a strategy. And if you're in the measurement business, like notches, you've got to be crystal clear what the objective is, crystal clear what the KPI is, so that you can measure against it. So the consistent part of what we do as a, as a strategy team or capability is just helping clients line up their business outcomes to their objectives and KPIs and make sure that the language is is consistent, which is especially important in a in a business which has multiple business units, like some of the businesses you and I have have worked in in the past. So getting getting to a consistent measurement framework is is uh, is job number one. Yeah, I think that that's so important. I mean. When you're in the vision building process and the strategy development process, it can often be exciting and perhaps a little bit of instinct takes charge. Uh, But then when you're actually in the thick of it and you're looking at the numbers, you find that, oh, that precision that perhaps we invested in or didn't invest in upfront is making these quarter to quarter, month to month conversations a lot easier or a lot more challenging. Yeah. One of the one of the things we coach our clients around is is in response to the idea of a content objective. A, a number of content teams do have something called content objectives. And that for us doesn't make sense because content is a strategy. It's a strategy to achieve a either a marketing objective, a brand objective, or a business objective. If if you have something called a content objective, then the, the risk is that it, it just becomes a loop. It just becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy that maybe you're driving for for content engagement just for the sake of engagement rather than going for for something more important. That's fantastic. And you know, I, I've also always thought about how having a strategy or not having a strategy that 
the team and the broader set of stakeholders really buy into either is an opportunity to create structure for conversations that you can have regularly and in an open and comfortable way, or it continues to sort of be that gap. And when you've got that structure in place, although structure doesn't really sound sexy per se, it actually kind of opens up the team's ability to truly be creative and explore new possibilities. And when when the inevitable naysayers start asking the question, well, why are you doing this? It's a reference point to say, well, the reason why we're doing it is because we're helping the business achieve this objective. Oh, and by the way, this is how well we're doing. And if you're thinking of investing more money, then we can do more of it. And if you're thinking of cutting our budget, then you can expect less customers or less revenue or less whatever it, it is. So it's it's both a defense strategy to protect what you've got, but it's also an offensive strategy because it will probably give you your your pathway to to how to scale um, and grow your your investments and and business impact. For sure. And speaking of impact, so what's the Notch team's approach been to maximizing the impact of content marketing for clients? So Notch approaches content measurement in in two ways. We have an approach to measuring content at the micro level and an approach to measuring content journeys at the macro level. At the, at the micro level, uh, we understand how content is performing in terms of engagement, time spent, and how it, how it affects brand perception through something we call the notch card. And we do that within our web content and also paid native content. The macro view is that we have an approach to, to mapping customer journeys to understand how uh, an audience starts a journey, how they finish a journey, and what happens in, in the middle. And the middle of journeys is a mystery to many marketers. It's kind of a black box. And we we actually call call it the, the missing middle. There isn't really a, an easy way to understand what happens across multiple web sessions. Where are users going? What are they engaging with? And, and what's What's the content which is really driving consideration? So we, over the last year, we we built built that product so that we can look at both journeys and the individual components of of those journeys as well, and and give clients a way to to understanding their missing middle, and and how content is performing at an individual page level. Yeah, I've always found that perspective to be fascinating. And I think it is absolutely spot on that the missing middle is a huge challenge for our industry. And, you know, when I start to think about different verticals of brands and this idea that, okay, we've got clarity on our upper funnel activities, we've got some pretty good last touch attribution, which may or may not be something that we all believe is really valuable depending on <laughs> where you are in the strategy spectrum but the whole idea that we don't really have a real view of all the activities and touches that have happened in getting from the beginning to the end of the journey is pretty outrageous um, if you really think about it and you know because that to my mind is where some of the most critical, consideration activity is happening that actually gets a prospect to want to convert to a customer. And I imagine that it's critical in all industry verticals, but any industry vertical that is really leaning into 
consideration, learning, better understanding what the value prop of a brand is, the missing middle is going to be essential to solve. Uh, have you found that that's the case with the different client conversations you're having across industries? I think the the findings we see is that if you get too bottom of the funnel focused, you're really not growing your business. You're you're really you're maybe getting business which you're already going to get, but a little bit faster. But I, I think the the way that the academic world cover it is the the really the true way to to grow is that you've got to you've got to have a consistent footprint across the whole journey or, or across the funnel, depending on what your your terms are, and and be equally focused on on building awareness and growing new customers um, as well as keeping the the customers you've got. And it's it's really about balance. For sure. me, what's surprising is the really the, the measurement world has not served the marketing world very well. And it has m- made us all a bit one-dimensional, like the way we measure search or paid search or organic search, or the way we measure the end of the journeys. If if you just optimize around that, you're, you you could be optimizing around the wrong element. But your paid search is a, is a favorite topic of mine because an industry who overused it for example would be the automotive companies who all spend tens of millions of dollars a year on paid search and most of it is on their own brand terms so it's it's traffic which they're going to get anyway but it's so it's a defensive strategy to stop uh, their competitors coming in and from buying their own brand terms but it's not it's not a growth strategy Right. It's, it's just a maintenance strategy. And I, I, I hear many brands now maybe being brave and saying, well, maybe paid search isn't really as valuable as it, as it was um, over the last 10 years or so. Um, and they're lo- looking for more r- real growth strategies, which is finding customers who are, are not already coming to you and, and then bringing them on a journey with you. For sure. And particularly as there's discussions of whether we may or may not be in a recession right now. You've written on the idea of recession-proofing your content strategy. And as strategies, budgets are all under pressure, I'm curious how that perspective has resonated with your clients. Yes. So, and I'm an optimist from a from an economic outlook point of view. I think there's some there's some encouraging signs at the moment. But I, I do believe the measurement always does very well in these environments. And if you, if you look back over the last two to three economic cycles, like in the late 80s, early 90s, database marketing really took off. And then 10 years later, next recession, digital marketing really exploded. And I, what I suspect will happen, what content teams will be forced to do is really understand what I would call their 5% rule. What, what we see is that really a very small amount of a brand's content library is driving the majority of business impact. And shockingly, it's maybe 5% is driving 90% of engagement and action. So job number one is make sure you know what your 5% is, protect it, ring fence it, make sure that that gets retained and maybe intensified, and then attack your the 95% that remains. You know, be prepared to stop that work and reinvest the money into your 5% strategy um, sure. and, and try and make the 5%, 10% and 20%. And if if you don't do it, your CFO or your CMO is going to do it 
on your behalf. So there's a there's an organizational implication there, which is to make sure that your analytics team is really your closest partner. And yeah. incre- increasingly, we, we see the content leader and the anal- analytics leader working side by side. It used to be the art director and the copywriter. And right. now it's the it's the editor-in-chief and the analytics leader. And oft, often those two roles are now sitting in the same team because the, the content marketing team doesn't want to wait a month for uh, the analytics team to come to their needs. They They need to operate on it day-to-day, week-to-week basis. Well, I completely relate to that sentiment. Um, Having worked as a content leader in teams that have really great views of data and teams that don't have really great views of data. And all I can say is as a, a content leader who was both strategic and charged with creative leadership, when you don't have the data, it's as if you feel like you're flying blind. And that's a really difficult situation to be in. But when you have the data, it really puts you in the driver's seat to be really grounded in what matters and also to play with these insights in conversations with your team to see, well, where can we take these insights? How can we create and brainstorm in a way that's really rooted in purpose? And so I I completely agree with all of that. And I just happen to believe if you want to recession-proof your your marketing strategies, you always have to be ready to answer the toughest questions because you you have to know that the tough questions are coming. If you feel ready to answer them, you're going to go into every situation. You're going to go into every pitch and presentation with so much more confidence. Right. And I, I suspect that budgets for content will grow um, as they have done over the last four years because content marketing is very measurable and it it does connect to business outcomes in in a way which is better than a brand investment or a a social pure play investment for me the, the the question coming is what happens if i cut your budget in half or what happens if i double your budget and you you should have that as a projection to know what you would do in both cases and 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 be prepared to reach reach for the gods you know go for, go for growth because no one has a better chance than uh, than proving their business case than than content marketing teams because content content is data like there's no data unless you have someone uh, engaging with content so uh, you know the content world and the data world is one and the same thing you just need to you just need to get it and be able to to talk lucidly about it to your leadership team to justify why the work you do is 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 good for business. All great content strategy thinking starts with trying to really anchor a perspective in what are the audience needs and prefer- preferences. However, it's an iterative process. Every time you put out new content, you have a feedback loop where you can get smarter and smarter about audience. So that notion that content and data are one and the same, two sides of the same coin. That's fantastic. So David, how has your work at Notch opened up your thinking around content marketing in new ways? Have you found that you're engaging with clients in new ways uh, through this unique uh, perspective of content intelligence? At any one time, we're working with maybe 40 
to 50 companies. And what I've observed in in the two years I've been working at Notch is that the content world truly is a sea of sameness. If you go industry by industry, a lot of content strategies are really sitting on top of each other. They're, They're really identical. Same topics, same tone of voice, same moments during the customer journey. So there is a there's there's really an opportunity for for brands to take a more distinct approach, a braver approach, and not necessarily following topics, but taking a thematic approach and understanding what that even means. Is in the in the editorial world, the editorial team will know that a theme is a is a distinct point of view, which only your brand can can say. And most content teams don't don't stretch themselves. They they're following search queries and they're they're trying to tick a box to get the click. They're not saying for my company, what can we say which is unique, which someone else can't say. And that's where it's as much a brand challenge as it is a content challenge because brand teams are really brilliant at, at getting to a, um, a promise which is distinct. And we actually need some help, I think, from our brand partners to develop content themes which are which are distinct and and which ladder back to what the brand promise is and what the brand priorities are. I'm so glad you mentioned that. I'm a huge believer that brands that have clear sense of purpose and who they are and how they're different are the brands that grow. And purpose is infectious. It's something that everyone is attracted to when they see it. And that naturally has to come through in the brand voice, which comes through in content creation. And I completely agree with you that connecting your content marketing to your brand strategy is the difference between content as sort of functional commodity versus content as brand differentiation. And by the way, connecting content to brand can still serve functional needs. It can still answer questions and be an initiative that is of service to customers because that all ties to the purpose. So that I I think that just continues to touch on how content marketing truly is a multidisciplinary role. You've got to be connected to the brand. You've got to be connected to data. You've got to be connected to so many different parts of the marketing organization. Okay. Well, David, um, want to learn a little bit more about how you came to be a strategic content marketing leader. We've got a couple rapid fire questions. They're not going to be too intense, I swear, but let's start with this first one. Complete this statement. I originally became a marketer because blank. Well, I remember when I was at school, my big brother, who was working for an ad agency in London, actually one of the most famous ad agencies called Davidson Pierce. Uh, he came back one day with a sports car. It was a Fiat X19. Mm. It was a it's a cool car where the where the engine is behind the driver's seat. And I thought, wow, if 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 that's what you get if you join an ad agency, I think I may just be interested. <laughs> and, and then a couple of years later, he turned up at Christmas with a one of the original Nokia cell phones, like the giant bricks. And I thought, well, that just seals the deal. <laughs> So that that really got me on a journey into the creative world and advertising for me was too ephemeral but direct marketing was perfect for me it was kind of a blend of art and science and so i i started as a direct marketer and then i was always interested in long form direct marketing which really is content marketing so it's it, it's content marketing is nothing new it's been going for 
probably hundreds of years, but uh, I was always interested in the written word sure, and, and ways of, of meeting needs rather than um, the 30-second TV spot. So the flash pulled you in, and then the the science and, and opportunity to drive real results was what kept you. That That's great. So how do you define great marketing leadership today? When I, it's, a, it's a really good question. When I, when I think about the CMOs who I meet and what they're clear on, the best ones are really clear about what their audience needs are. They have really an intense understanding of what need is important and a commitment to really staying ahead of that, of that need. There's a, there's a definition of what, what does it take to being a brand leader? which is owning the future category need. So you, so what that means, you, you've got to find that group of customers or prospects who were really leading the way and, and then build your business around understanding that need and then, and then meeting those needs. And that, that to me what is what the best CMOs are doing and the rest are really just copying sure. everyone yeah. else. And, and as a result, are in, are in the middle of the pack, not, not really acting as a not number one or two in their market. That really resonates with me. I, I actually just recently read, uh, I guess now a somewhat classic book called Play Bigger, which really roots back to positioning and crossing the chasm and so many other classics. And those books talk a lot about how if you can establish a new category, you can really use that as your ultimate positioning. Right, you're you've got the opportunity to create a new space, create a new language, create new relationships with customers, and uniquely uh, deliver on their needs. So I I really like that perspective. We're in the home stretch on the rapid fire. In a word or a sentence, modern marketing is a driver of growth by doing what? So the word would be relevance, and what I mean by that is moving from a one size fits all approach to uh, a more personalized experience uh, to the individual user. So when, Michael, when you and I first met, I think we met at a swanky dinner party in New York. We were we were talking about personalization and individualization. And I think that's, for me, that's what modern marketing is. It's finding a way to make experiences and, and content relevant to, to the individual and not not just one overall campaign, but something which is is truly relevant. Relevance, personalization, that opportunity to really break through with a customer and be noticed and really form that relationship. That's what drives growth. That, that's what acquires new customers and moves moves people from prospect to to customer. Okay. Well, now could you tell us about a formative experience or defining initiative that kickstarted growth in your marketing career? Yes, good question. There were there were two two experiences which, as I think back, really affected my beliefs. One was actually an area about relevance and personalization. And it it's actually a, a story which is a bit of an urban legend in the direct marketing world. But there was a there was an assignment. I was working on for British Telecom, where we were targeting high net worth CEOs to get them to to, to view British Telecom as their provider for, for their business. And it was a mailing which was going to like 20 CEOs. And the, the operator who was in the mailing house recognized that this mailing was going to very rich people. Just as a joke, he put the, the default salutation which is in a letter where you say, dear Michael, he put dear rich bastard, went out for lunch ah. 
And when he came back for lunch, he forgot to get rid of the default salutation. The ma- the mailing went out. Oh my god! It went out on and it landed on a Saturday morning, and we found out, and we thought, oh my goodness, we're going to be in so much trouble, and. We had to get the CEO of British Telecom to call each of these important customers. And interestingly, he, he called 10 of them and nine of them were furious. But one of them said, it's brilliant. It was you know, personalization. It was perfect. You completely got me right. <laughs> um, but for me, that was that was a moment of the power of power of personalization, actually the risk of personalization, because if you if you get it wrong, you can get remembered for the wrong reason. The, the the other experience which was important for me was if you're working in a global company, the ability to share knowledge fast is really a, a competitive point of difference. And I was lucky enough to work on a project at Ogilvy, which was called Truffles. There's a famous David Ogilvy quote, which is you you should pursue knowledge like a pig pursues truffles. And Truffles was the name of Ogilvy's knowledge management system. And I was lucky enough to help design that platform and then leverage it so that when we were working on different businesses or different industries, we could go looking for case studies from one country to another and leverage them and and build a business based off that shared learning. So for me, the the ability to collaborate and share knowledge is in some ways is really the only competitive difference. Everything else you do is going to get copied Sure. If, if you can work in a collaborative environment, share knowledge and learn together, then you'll you'll grow faster as a team than as as an individual. Will ever Absolutely. Be. Yeah, I mean, I think that's such a great reminder that marketing is truly about the teams, the people, collaboration, and that we all make each other stronger. So, just shifting gears a bit to growth breakthroughs, could you share with us a signature growth moment that you often come back to? as a marketing leader, how was it exciting, challenging? How did it really deliver value for the business? I think for in in uh, in, the, in my content marketing phase of my career, the, the magic moment was when I was working with a strategy partner of mine called Steve Kerhoe, who he and I worked together for, for three or four years where we were trying to make content marketing more strategic and to move from a custom publishing orientation to something more audience centric. And the moment of truth was when we started to audit content and come up with a methodology for auditing content against the audience journey. So it was really bringing a a consumer insights deliverable together with with a content audit. And then we visualized how that would look. So we we started presenting content audit findings against the backdrop of an audience journey map and it really it really became the basis of of what strategic content marketing is now which is mapping your content strategy to the audience journey and steve, steve really cracked that code maybe i'm going to date him now but maybe 10 years ago yeah it's it's been re- well documented and has been leveraged over and over again and it's still it's still an aha moment for many for many companies to to not think about content at one stage of the journey, right? But to go looking for for other stages and the the brand we were working for at the time was Honda, um, a, you know, a car company. And car companies aren't typically known for being rich with content because content for them are the trim and features of their car. But the approach still works during a 
a car buying journey. It's it, it's truly a multi-year journey with with different needs at each stage. I've seen that so many times be essential to breakthroughs with teams because it's not intuitive to many people that content maps across a journey and therefore you shouldn't think about all your different objectives across the the journey being supported by a single piece of content, right? That That's going to set any single piece of content up for failure. But if you can focus and anchor content to specific goals relevant to stages in the journey, it's going to not only set that content up for more success, but it's going to help the teams better understand what they're trying to do at different phases. Yeah. As we kind of shift gears to learnings for today and tomorrow, what's the best marketing advice you were ever given? I think the I may be giving away part of my approach here, but persistency is really important. There are a lot of brilliant people in the marketing world, some of the sharpest minds, some of the most creative minds. For me, the the people and the teams which make through are the ones who are persistent and who stay stay on a path and and learn their lessons, whether they're from successes or failures, but really just keep working hard, work hard than your your competitors. That I think that persistence, in my experience, always gets rewarded. I think a lot about, for instance, agile ways of marketing and the notion that Agile is all about continuous improvement. It's recognizing you're never going to get anything perfect in your first run at it. But if you're looking at the data, if you're having regular conversations with your teams and your clients and your stakeholders and walking away from those conversations with clear learnings and ways to optimize and get better, that persistence is going to lead to great outcomes over time. There's, a, there's another point as well, which is for people who know me, they, they'll, they'll know my Winston Churchill is one of my heroes. And one of the one of the things Winston Churchill insisted on is that he would never receive a memo which was more than a page long. He would refuse to accept it. He he would throw them back and say, take the time to write a short note. And I think there's a lot to be said for simplicity, conciseness, and long, long presentations or documents never never make it easier. It often it camouflages good ideas and good insights. So don't be afraid to to be very concise, less than a page, a paragraph, less is more in my experience. Yeah, I think there's a famous Mark Twain quote as well that says, he opens up the, the letter, he says, please apologize for this long letter. I didn't have time to write the short letter. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I completely agree. All right. Well, um, what trends are you seeing that you expect will shape marketing growth today and tomorrow? I think on the on the operational side, there's an organizational shift which is which is going on, which I think is interesting, which is in response to centralization. Lots of content teams have centralized, and I think there's a growing sense that there's been an over-centralization. Lines of business are starting to push back and saying, yes, I, I like the fact that the, the central team is there, it's efficient, and maybe gives me access to different flavors or layers of expertise, but they're, they're really a long way away from the front line of audience needs or, or channels. So the, the idea of spoken hub model is is starting to emerge where maybe there's a rebalancing between what sits at the center and what sits in in the the line of business sure Um, and there's there's no magic answer to what's what's right for each individual company because ultimately the culture will will determine the the right approach but 
I, I always get worried when I when I meet a company who's saying, "Well, we want to create a, a centralized team." I'll, I'll start to say, "Well, what do your lines of business think about that, and how do you how can you justify that and and prepare for the inevitable maybe lack of audience sensitivity, which can come as a result." Yeah, I I've definitely seen that myself managing global content teams and what I've seen work best as a hybrid model, right? So uh, for business units that are big enough and have enough content that is being created, if they can you know, staff dedicated content leaders, that's always going to help drive a more focused strategy and you know, creation by people who are more immersed in that business unit. But then for smaller units, um, they still need content but they may not need as much content and they may not need it all the time. So a central model um, can help create uh, content, you know, in kind of that shared service model uh, brings more flexibility, um, but you have to manage that. Well, you have to manage it really proactively to make sure that those smaller units know what they're getting when and feel like they have a voice and input into that, shared service uh, model. And then I think having some centralization is really critical because it's incumbent upon the content marketing leadership to set the standard for what great content looks like across the organization. And if you don't have some centralization and some leadership across the company, everyone is just going to be doing their own thing in silos and there's not going to be any shared sense of what quality really looks like. So I think I happen to put the vote out there for both. I don't think it's totally centralized or totally decentralized, but it takes time for organizations to really um, fully understand how that approach works because it is a little bit more complex, uh, but it's also more balanced. Yeah. I think when you scratch the surface of what content teams will be doing, I think there's a there's there's also a, a consolidation which is coming up where for content teams to be successful, they need to have great partnerships with their analytics team and also with their experience planning team. Um, and I think what we're going to see is a merger of those capabilities that I think experience planning and content teams may become one and the same. And with, with the analytics capability, whether it be people or tools supporting both teams together, because sure. if, if you want content to be delivered well, you've really got to be interested in what the experience is. And I, I don't see a reason to have that held separately. Yeah, I think that is such an interesting notion because you know, so many teams say, well, if we don't have any content, what happens? And my short answer would be, you don't have any brand experience without any content. <laughs> so I think they're naturally synergistic. It'll be interesting to understand how the implications play out in terms of just how organizations take shape, how budgets take shape. Um, that may or may not get us there. Uh, quicker, but 
I do believe that content is fundamental to experience and that experience and content are fundamental to driving a thriving business. So I think that it'll be fun to watch that as it plays out. David, well, I genuinely appreciate you taking the time today. This has been a fantastic conversation and I can't wait for us to be able to share this with the community, um, hear everyone's responses and, and dig into the conversation further. Is there anything else you wanted to touch on? Well, only Michael, I would offer for Notch's pros and content community. I'm sure that they'd love to be having this podcast link. So when you're ready, we should share it to the community so that those 900 marketing and content leaders can, can listen in as well. Absolutely. I'm a huge fan of pros and content and can't wait to have the conversation over in the community as well. Well, with that, David Brown, thank you so much for joining Marketer Growth Conversation. Thanks, Michael. Thanks. Bye.